0: At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life.
1: Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also chief of cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the chief population health officer at Baptist Health. When you visit your doctor, chances are that lifestyle factors like diet and exercise are part of the conversation. Increasingly, so is sleep. We've talked before in this podcast about the important role that sleep plays in our overall health. On a recent episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live program, my guests and I looked into the negative effects a lack of sleep can have on our physical and mental health. My guests were Dr. Rachel Rowe-Heidi, psychiatrist and medical director with the Recovery Village at Baptist Health South Florida, and Dr. Harneet Walia, director of sleep medicine and continuous improvement at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. Let's kick it off, Harneet, by asking you a question. Um, We're in a very fast-paced world. People stay up late. They seem to be sleeping less. Is there a real number for the average number of hours someone should be sleeping? What's the recommended sleep amount that we would tell people?
2: Well, sleep need varies significantly among individuals and across the lifespan. On an average, an adult requires seven to nine hours of sleep for optimal daytime functioning. And like you said, in this fast-paced world, many of us are sleep-deprived. About 30% of us are obtaining less than six hours of sleep, which is a real crisis.
1: I mean, I certainly find myself sometimes you work, you eat, you have a little bit to yourself, and I find myself trying to stay up just to feel like I had time. Is that something you encounter and you, you, co- you, couch, you coach people to recognize that it's okay to go to sleep a little earlier and there might be benefits, which again, we'll allude to further. Do you, do you have those conversations with your
2: patients? Absolutely. Oftentimes people put sleep on the back burner and then we have to constantly educate and coach them that sleep is vital for optimal well-being. And once you coach them and tell them the consequences of less sleep, I think they put sleep uh, as a priority.
1: So part of it's a recognition and education. Um, Absolutely. Rachel, you know, again, it's a challenging world. It's hard to unplug, de-stress. I find in talking to my patients and myself, sometimes the middle of night you know, things, thoughts just keep circulating in your head. Can you tell a little bit about the? Can you tell us a little bit about the link between stress and sleep?
0: We do know that you know increased stress, increased worry causes can cause sleep deprivation, right? So, um, and it's difficult for us nowadays to unplug ourselves from the world and say, okay, we're going to get sleep now. You know, so it, it's really important to have those conversations with everyone. You need to pencil in sleep. We've got everything else regulated. Uh, you know, we've got our phones hooked up to everything. How, you know, why not just, you know, put a little alarm and say, okay, time to start winding down and, and, and go to sleep and unplug from that busy world. Um, we, we do know that there is definitely a direct link between the amount of stress and stimulation that you get and the, and, and sleep deprivation.
1: And that goes both ways. The more stress, the more disrupted your sleep is. The less sleep, does that impact your stress?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're not rested enough, if you don't have that restorative sleep, everything else the next morning is going to be impacted. Right. So we're not, we're not forming those, you know, concrete, you know, long-term memories. You know, we're not learning. You know, that's when our brain begins to kind of put things together and heal from the day. Right. Um, so when we're sleep deprived the next morning, we're not able to do those cognitive functions and, and, and figure things out and we're a little slower. And so that, that causes more stress through our day.
1: It's interesting when you have dialogues with people and I, and, and I know we all deal in our practices with, with heavily stressed people, cause it's so prevalent that there are things you can't control in your stress, right? You can't I say to people well, you can't just move to an Island and sip margaritas, but there are things you can control. So, as we go through this, let's, let's start elaborating on, on the consequences of poor sleep. And then, of course, speaking towards techniques to get a better sleep. So, um, following up on that, um, um, Harneet, um specifically, how can, you know, when people don't get enough sleep, they wake up not feeling their best? How does it affect people physically? What are the physical manifestations of, of not getting the sleep your body needs?
2: Yeah, folks feel tired, they feel fatigued, they feel sleepy, there is this malaise, um, lack of well-being. You know, alongside, like Rachel mentioned, they cannot concentrate, they are inattentive. It can really affect their performance at their work and even at the personal level. So it can have far-reaching consequences.
1: Do you find when you're um, uh, talking to a patient who has those symptoms that the individual says, you know, hey, I need a better night's sleep. Or do you find people around them, a spouse or a coworker say, hey, you know, you need to get this checked out. In other words, are, are most of the people coming to you self-recognizing that their physical complaints are sleep-related or it's something pointed out to them by others, maybe a primary care doctor as well?
2: It's both ways. So it's either the patient, they may have symptoms such as excessive daytime sleepiness, fatigue, not feeling good, or their caregiver or their bed partner who may bring the patient up to us. And sometimes it's recognized by the healthcare professionals. So there are many ways patient can enter our door. And you
1: mentioned fatigue and various other lack of concentration, irritability, I mean, these are these are common things that can be not just in the personal life but in the work environment a- as well. Um, Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. So, Rachel, we know again, sleep can have a lack of sleep can have um, effects on mental and physical health. What about too much sleep? Is there something to be uh, uh, alerted to as a concern for an individual or someone whose loved one or coworker is sleeping too much?
0: Absolutely. So even as little sleep as we get or the more sleep that we get when we start sleeping, you know, 12 hours, 14 hours, things like that. You know, we, we start looking at other things as well. You know, you want to make sure that the person, you know, there's, there's nothing organic going on, right? We want to get blood levels checked, make sure, you know, diabetes is not on board, that we're not kind of taking care of. Um, The more we sleep, we're putting ourselves more at risk for cardiovascular illness and diseases, stroke. So too little sleep and too much sleep are both not good for our health. And so we want to find that balance, what works for you best. Because like you said, like Karnit said, absolutely. It affects, every affects concentration. It affects body. It affects mind. It affects everything.
1: And I think the the theme that we are, are continuously promoting uh, in our conversations and we will to the viewers is think of sleep as part of your life, as part of your lifestyle. And it's, you know, if your, if your stomach is bothering you, you'll say, Oh, I got to get that checked out. If you have a pain somewhere, but we don't think of our sleep habits and our sleep patterns as a major components. And obviously as you guys are uh, uh, elaborating and explaining with expertise, it is. So now let's talk about some things that, that, um, sleep can affect and what we can do about it, Harneet. People come to you with sleep disturbances referred by themselves, by others, et cetera. Um, talk about some of the things that you discuss with them. Let's start with you know, nutrition and exercise. Um, how are those things that one can uh, address to improve their sleep um, habits?
2: Yeah, the first thing we talk about is having a good sleep hygiene, maintaining a very good sleep hygiene, and a big part of it is diet and exercise, so we often tell folks not to have a heavy meal too close to the bedtime, um, avoid alcohol close to the bedtime because it can disrupt your sleep at the later part of the night, uh, avoiding caffeine after lunch hours because it has a long half-life and can Disrupt the sleep. Um, and also, exercise is helpful in promoting good sleep. There are studies to show that folks who exercise and, particularly, do aerobic exercise are able to fall asleep quickly, have a better sleep quality. We do discourage them to not exercise close to the bedtime because that can disrupt sleep. But diet and exercise can play a good role.
1: So, avoiding caffeine would be a more common one that you see. Mm-hmm. Um, alcohol, follow up on alcohol, you, you said it quite well, which is alcohol can disrupt the later sleep, but people think oh, I'm, I need some alcohol unwind, it'll help me sleep. Elaborate on that a little bit why that's not necessarily true.
2: You know, alcohol initially can promote sleep, it does have those sedative properties. But as, as we go later in the night, later into sleep, it does tend to disrupt the sleep, it causes sleep fragmentation, you get these bad dreams, and so forth.
1: So the quality of your sleep is just as important as the quantity, the number of hours and alcohol can promote a poor quality sleep as well as um, wake you up. And, and again, I think that's important for the viewers because it's kind of contrary to what perception is, which is it makes you sleepy and you, know, you mm-hmm. crash. Um, back to uh, mental health, um, um, Rachel. Um, again, let's talk about some of the more common mental health disturbances that you're seeing, some of which may be exacerbated with the whole COVID pandemic. And again, where you bring sleep in, both as a cause, poor sleep as a cause, and perhaps good sleep as a uh, mitigator of um, certain mental mental health conditions.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, by the time a patient comes to see me, they've already been dealing with these issues for quite a while, right? So as being a psychiatrist, I'm not really the physician people want to see. So unfortunately, what I have been seeing, especially with the pandemic, are alcohol use disorders are increasing, and they were increasing because there's too much stress and I can't sleep. And so a lot of my patients that I've been seeing are getting into this, well, I'm trying to self-medicate because I'm not sleeping. And so they were kind of putting things in our body that are quite toxic and we shouldn't be doing, right? Um, And so uh, it's really asking those important questions, right? What are you doing Why are you doing it? How often are you doing it, right? So um, it's important to find out why they're sleeping so much, why they're not sleeping, right? So we have patients that have a lot of trauma that are having nightmares and that's why they're not sleeping, right? Or we have patients who just don't wanna deal with their family or you don't wanna deal with the day, they're too stressed, so they spend all day in bed all day sleeping. And so you really want to make sure you're asking those important mental health questions. What, what's causing what?
1: So um, let, me, let me follow up on that. And I'm going to ask the same question to Harneet. Um, you mentioned people kind of self-medicating, looking for alcohol or sometimes other potentially dangerous substances to help either their stress and or their sleep. Um, is there a role for over-the-counter preparations to help people sleep Are there prescription medications? And I think it's fair to say we don't want them first line. We want the proper sleep hygiene first. But in your in your experiences, your practice, um, what do you tell people who say, can't you just give me a pill to fall asleep? Rachel, I'm asking you first. I'm sorry.
0: Okay, Um, you know, we live in a world where we need that gratification right away. Right. We've got these amazing computers in our hands all day, which are kind of work like phones, but we can kind of press a button and, and have things delivered and things happen right away. So we want that quick fix. We want that pill first. Um, what I try to do in my clinic and from what I've heard of need and what she's saying, you know, really try to teach that sleep hygiene, the good Uh, restorative, helpful sleep, having a a schedule. And so having this very healthy lifestyle of trying to get in a little bit of exercise, eating right and making sure that we're practicing sleep hygiene is really important for patients.
1: Is that something you would echo Harneet or again, I'm coming to you. I don't need, I just want, just give me a pill. I just want to sleep. How would you respond to that? If uh, a patient were to start the conversation that way?
2: Now, I would go to the root cause of the issue. Why are they not able to sleep? So there are many times there are reasons why folks are not able to sleep. It's either the stress or they may have underlying sleep disorders, such as sleep apnea or restless leg syndrome. And even if they have pure insomnia, which is difficulty sleeping, difficulty falling asleep, maintaining sleep, waking up early in the morning, despite getting right opportunity to sleep, uh, the first-line treatment is often not medications. It's often what we call it cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which is focused on restructuring those negative emotions or co- cognitive emotions that are linked with sleep. Uh, so that's our first-line treatment. We generally do not recommend taking over-the-counter medications. They may have long half-life. They may stay in the body for a long time. They may pro- promote grogginess. And it in turn maybe actually perpetuating trouble sleeping.
1: So some of our lifestyle might just prohibit people from getting enough sleep because they're going to sleep late waking up. The increased stress environment might make it difficult to fall asleep or stay asleep. Certain things someone may do in their lifestyle, caffeine late in the day, alcohol may disrupt their sleep. And then again, for those that just can't fall asleep, you would work with them on the causes of that rather than just throw pills at the problem right away, which is exactly the point, okay. Um, Uh, Harnit, are there warning signs of sleep deprivation? Are there things that we would want people to say, maybe they don't get up in the morning and say, wow, I'm sleep deprived, but little things that might, we want to promote them to say, wait a minute, maybe you're developing a sleep disturbance?
2: Yeah. I mean, sleep deprivation is two kinds. One is acute sleep deprivation where folks may or may not recognize that they are either sleepy during the day, they are tired during the day, and that is because they were not able to sleep well in the night, either it's because of the short sleep duration or bad sleep quality. And then there is this cumulative sleep deprivation that many times often get under recognized and undertreated. And many times you have to really hone in the history of asking what time they're going to bed during the weekdays, during the weekends, how much sleep they're getting and questions about their quality of sleep. So essentially, it's the symptoms, such as daytime sleepiness, fatigue, impaired concentration, not able to work well, and so forth.
1: Now, now, it's probably fair for someone or anyone to have a few days or a short period where that may occur um, for whatever circumstances. Is there, a, again, just an a, a idea as to when someone should seek help for it and what should, where should they seek the help?
2: Well, if they have persistent difficulty sleeping and they're feeling tired and sleepy despite obtaining seven to eight hours of sleep in the night, or they're snoring and they're bothering their bed partner, or they're constantly feeling tired and sleepy, that is the time to seek medical attention.
1: Um, And again, primary care doctor, for an example, would Mm -hmm. be uh, a great first first step.
2: Absolutely. Um,
1: We've mentioned a couple of times proper sleep hygiene, uh, Rachel can you get into that with a little more a little more detail what are the kind of specific things that um, a person could do to ensure a better quality and quantity of sleep
0: absolutely so you know sleep hygiene can include you know you can go online and find 20 different things that you can do to improve sleep hygiene but what it actually means is just having a better sleep routine right so just kind of cleaning up that sleep. Um, about half an hour before bed, an hour before bed, kind of shut things down, you know, put your phone away, kind of relax and you're kind of telling your body all right, it's time to time to rest. Uh, Keeping a schedule of sleep. So doing, you know, life happens, right? And so a lot of us can't necessarily always go to bed at 902 at night or whatever, right? So, you know, keeping a schedule as close as possible, making sure that you're, you're going to bed around the same time, even on weekends, you're, you're getting up around the same time as well. Um, having a nice routine. You can do a little meditation, take a shower, a bath, do a facial, whatever it is that you do to prepare and uh, get your body ready to relax and and sleep. And remember, you know, bed is sanctuary. So really the only two things that should be happening in bed are the two S's, right? Sleep and sex. We should not be on our phone in bed. We should not be writing a book in bed. We should not really be watching TV in bed, even though I know that kind of hard, you know, everyone wants a TV in their room. Uh, But really, you know, if you, if you focus on cleaning up that sleep, and knowing that good restorative sleep is really going to take you a long way, and it's going to improve your mood, improve um, your your processing, improve uh, memory, uh, you know, we really got to put a little more focus into our state because it does have long term benefits for us.
1: I mean, how pervasive is that? How pervasive is that phone? I mean, I actually started now keeping my cell phone in a different room so I can't keep looking to it. I noticed my wife does it all night, keeps looking at the phone, picks something up, whatever, and started making her do it as well. And it's an adjustment. It's actually a positive one for those who <laughs> can, actually, can actually try it. But how, how big a disruptor are screens? huge,
0: you know, nowadays, especially, you know, through the pandemic, everything was on Zoom. So we were on all the time, you know, from the moment we woke up on a Zoom call meeting, seeing patients via Zoom, uh, you know, uh, answering emails at night, because now a lot of us are working from home. And of course, we've got these great little computers in our hands. So it is really difficult to unplug from the day. And if you, if you just keep things Um, you know, put a time limit, do yourself a favor and disconnect for a moment. And that's really part of a lot of self-care. What we're noticing is increase in stress, increase in anxiety, increase in substance use disorders, um, because we're not unplugging, we're not doing that self-care that's so necessary. And sleep is self-care.
1: That's that's Go ahead, honey,
2: please. You know, one additional thing I would like to add is that the the blue lights emitted from these electronics can suppress the melatonin, which is supposed to be the dark hormone, the sleep hormone, the night hormone. So more exposure to these electronics is going to suppress that good night's sleep because of the melatonin.
1: Actually, there's some great questions coming in. So I want to get to them to make sure that the viewers' um, um, questions are being answered. But let's jump to one of them right now, which is, melatonin. Um, And the question is, is taking it okay? Is it addictive? So maybe, you know, uh, Harnit, if you could elaborate a little bit more about the role of melatonin and and, uh, what melatonin supplements can and cannot do.
2: Yeah. Like you mentioned, John, melatonin is a supplement. It's not really a sleep aid. So there are lots of formulations of melatonin. It comes at different dosages. It comes at different formulations. So one has to be really cognizant of what formulation you're taking. I mean, overall, melatonin has not been shown to improve sleep. It's generally safe, but it really doesn't improve sleep. It is more to shift your sleep timings. For instance, if you are somebody who is a night owl, so that's when the melatonin is more handy to shift your time from the later sleep periods to an earlier time period. And similarly, if you're a morning lark, that's when the melatonin will come in to shift your time from the earlier time to the later times. That's where melatonin is most effective.
1: So it's used when people have to travel across time zones to maybe adjust mm-hmm. as you're saying. Yes. I mean, I, I use this analogy and I'll ask the two sleep experts if I should stop using it. But I would say that, you know, we evolved um, where twilight was when the sun started going down. Our brain started getting ready for sleep. The sun went down, we went to sleep. And melatonin was kind of being released to kind of prepare the brain for sleep, but light burns it off. So if, even if you take a melatonin supplement, as you said you look at the screen, you just burned off whatever it's going to do anyway. So it's the contrary of light versus uh, uh the melatonin. Is that kind of real? Is that kind of right?
2: Oh, you <laughs> said it right, beautiful actually. So, um, light is the strongest cue that uh helps us with our circadian rhythm and with our internal body clock, and both light and melatonin play a role in getting to that dark and day uh, cycle. So, yeah,
1: well, this has been great, guys. I mean, I, I, on my own. Just ask you a bunch of questions for my own uh, education, but in the interest of time, um, I'll just ask each of you any anything you want to add that we didn't address, or anything you want to emphasize that we did address. Uh, Rachel, any final any f- final comments or thoughts?
0: So absolutely, um, you know, people ask, you know, how am I supposed to change, you know, twenty things in order to go to sleep, and and you know that doesn't make any sense to me either. Uh, but taking one or two things. And making small changes at a time can help you improve your sleep over time. Um, And I know that everyone wants to try to do things naturally. They don't, you know, some people don't want to take medication for sleep, but, you know, these are behavioral modifications that are really going to take you through a lifetime. And so making one or two small changes of months, and you'll see over time, remember, this is not a quick fix, these are uh, lifestyle modifications that are very beneficial in the end.
1: Harney, similarly, final comments, anything you want to uh, add?
2: Yeah, I agree. You know, when we say lifestyle modification, we always talk about diet and exercise. So I just want our new viewers to know uh, that sleep should be a priority. And when we're talking about diet and exercise, we should be talking about sleep in the same token.
1: To our listeners, remember that you can send us your comments and suggestions for future topics at BaptistHealthTalk at BaptistHealth.net. That's BaptistHealthTalk at BaptistHealth.net. On behalf of everyone at Baptist Health, thanks for listening and stay safe.
2: Find
0: additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at BaptistHealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida,
1: healthcare that cares.